Today I want to talk about that very, very thing, the concept of we as Christians living at a time that is very inhospitable in many ways as Christians uh, because of all that's going on in society around us. I've entitled uh, this uh, morning's talk, uh, Step Into the Water. And um, the reason I did that is because, you know, when it comes to water, I don't know about you, but I enjoy water. I enjoy swimming. I enjoy sitting in um, hot tubs, and uh, especially hot tubs. I, I love going to places where they have hot springs. I grew up in Newfoundland where there were no such thing as hot springs. Um, it was uh, fascinating. Uh, as I look back on my childhood, I think of the many times we would go to various swimming holes and, um, you know, uh, also on the beach uh, near uh, where I lived. And it's kind of interesting, you know, in Newfoundland in uh, the month of May in particular, May, June, even into July, there's almost kind of like a, um, uh, a military parade of icebergs that flowed along uh, the island of Newfoundland. And so the water tends to be very cold. I remember being at the campground, Woody Acres campground, and our, my camp counselor was teaching us how to swim. His name was Gary Hodder. You may have heard of Gary Hodder. He used to be secretary here in the Ontario Conference, now president of the Alberta Conference. And he would try his best to get us into the water for the swimming class. And it would be windy and cold, and um, there was no way I was going to get into that water. Scripture tells us a story of Jesus walking on the water, and Peter was so excited. He said, Lord, if that's you, allow me to come onto the water. And the Lord said, come. And so Peter went out on the water, and then Scripture says in Mark 14, it says that but as he saw the wind, it was boisterous. He was afraid, and he was beginning to sink, and he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand. I'm going to suggest to you this morning that in many ways there's a lot of cold water that Christians are asked to step in. God calls us to be, as he says, we are the light of the world. And the city that's set upon a hill cannot be hidden. Neither does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but instead puts it on a stand so that everyone in the house can see. And says, so let your lights shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify us. No, glorify him, glorify God. And so it is that as Christians today, we're living in a society where there's a lot of questioning going on as to exactly why are you holding these strange and weird views. I'll be talking more about that this afternoon. I invite you to come. But here it is that, that Christians and individuals who stand up for traditional moral ethics today are being challenged as never before. Today, I want to suggest that we need to be individuals who are going to be like the flowers, who are willing 
to take the winds and the storms and still let the love of Jesus be seen in our lives. That we will also be individuals who are willing to step in the water into society at large and recognize that Jesus is there. He has our back. And the moment we sense we are falling, we can cry out to him and he will stretch out his hand. In other words, as Christians, we need not fear of the fact that, yes, we may be derided, we may be scoffed at in the media and in the academic world and all the rest, but that as Christians we're, we're standing up to be like the flowers to share God's love with everyone. Just a couple of months ago, the Open Doors USA released its 2019 World Watch List. And it is a list of the top 50 countries around the world where Christians are persecuted. In this report, they highlighted, of course, that the number one country in the world where there's been a lot of persecution of Christians is North Korea. That was number one. And what's interesting about North Korea is that a lot of North Koreans are escaping into China, into South Korea, a lot of Christians. And uh, North Korean spies are being sent into these various uh, expatriate communities so that they can pretend to be Christian. And they literally go to Bible studies in South Korea so that they can befriend the North Koreans who escaped and they can then find who the Christians are back in North Korea. Not only that, but in China, of course, where there's a lot of discussion. Um, I don't know if you've been following the news recently, but China is developing a system known as a social credit system where it's keeping track of every citizen, or at least this is the plan. They're doing it now in stages. And they are um, having every single citizen is going to um, be tracked as to whether or not they are going to be, uh, they are loyal to the government one of the most uh, effective ways of keeping track of people of course are the cell phone the cell phone as you realize you can be in anywhere and uh, all of a sudden as you leave the store next thing you know google is sending you a message if, or a trip advisor or somebody saying can you rate how much you liked that store or that restaurant and it's fascinating as we see technology now being used. Just uh, a couple of days ago, it was announced that in one city in China, they're offering $1,500 to any citizen who will report any foreign religious leaders in the community. And so, of course, what happens is, is that people start spying on one another, which is what happened, of course, in the communist world, uh, in Russia and all the rest. So in this report, the report from uh, Open Doors USA tells us of the extent of persecution that's going on around the world. Some 245 million people, million Christians, are going to face what they say is a high level of persecution this year in 2019. 
Last year, 4,136 4, Christians were killed because they were Christian. Now, just to give you an idea of what 4,000 Christians look like, I have here with me a book. It's the Martyr's Mirror. It is a very well-known book in the Mennonite community. This is a book that's listing all of the various Christians that were murdered during the Reformation time frame uh, because of standing up for their faith, known as the Martyr's Mirrors. In the, with the, in the, uh, we're probably most familiar with another book known as the Fox's Book of Martyrs. And this one is a similar kind of book. In this book is approximately 4,000 stories of individuals who were murdered over several centuries in Europe because of their faith. 4,000. In other words, every single year, the Christian church is writing another book. 11 Christians a day are being murdered because of their faith. Now, the author of the report said that this report should drive all of us to our knees in prayer and then on our feet to stand with our brothers and sisters. And people say to me, well, Barry, so what do we can do? What, what should we be doing? Well, there's lots of things we could be doing. First of all, we could be praying for our church, for the Christian church around the world that is suffering this amount of persecution. Various massacres are happening throughout uh, the Middle East, throughout Africa, throughout the Islamic countries and all the rest of it, through the communist countries. Churches are literally being uh, destroyed in China as we speak. What can we do? Number one, we can pray. Number two, there are many Christian organizations that are out there, such as Voice of the Martyrs, we could be helping to support. We could be ensuring that our own governments are aware of what is happening to the Christian community around the world. We, as Christians living in this part of the world, which I would suggest to you, despite its challenges, and I'll be talking more about that later, but despite the challenges we face in this country, we are really living in the 1% of freedom. And perhaps we are in the top 10% of the 1%. So what are we to do? I think that we as a church, as a local church community, there are refugees who are suffering as a result of religious persecution around the world. We could be helping to support bringing refugees here to this country where they can find freedom. There's many things we can do. It's only a matter of us seeking God and saying, Lord, what would you have me do? So then we look at our own self. We're able to come here today and not have to worry as they do in other parts of this world where state agents are outside with their video cameras recording who has arrived or who is leaving this building so that they can have facial technology and know based on the records who it is that came to this meeting today. You don't have to worry about that. But people in China do. The various house churches throughout China 
are concerned about the agents that are set up so that they are recorded as they leave their church meetings. And yet, amazingly, something that is phenomenal when you think about it, but that as history is shown over and over again, every time the church is persecuted, the church grows. Many of the reformers often referred to the blood of the of the of God's people as being but seed. And as the blood is spread, so the seed of the church carries on. So we have a responsibility, I'd suggest. We in this country have been given a special gift, the gift of freedom, the gift of religious freedom. And I will be sharing with you this afternoon about how it is that religious freedom forms the very basis of a free and democratic society. And so it's fascinating for us that we have got this awesome responsibility. We are living in the lapse of luxury. And yet, if you were to listen to ourselves speak, we think we have the worst life that is possible. We're complaining because we didn't get the exact color furniture that was ordered. Or that we didn't get the exact order that came in the mail that we ordered. Or perhaps we wake up on the wrong side of the bed and we say something that is untoward towards our loved ones. Folks, let me tell you, we are living in the lapse of luxury. We are living in amazing freedom. We can come here today without any fear. We can pick up our Bibles every single day and read it and not have to worry about someone watching us over our shoulders. It is a tremendous blessing that we have. And we've got to thank God for this blessing. We've got to praise Him for this blessing. And we have a solemn responsibility to ensure that this gift that has been given to us by those who have gone before us, that we can give that gift to our own children and to our own grandchildren. And so it is that here we find ourselves a solemn responsibility. And yet we are often very negligent. Negligent in ensuring that we maintain that freedom. Martin Niemöller, who is a Lutheran pastor in Germany, as he was seeing what all was going on in Germany in the 1930s, decided to join up with the Nazi party. In fact, he began preaching some anti-Semitic sermons from his pulpit so he could, what he felt was doing God's will with the new rising political star of his age. And he soon came to regret that as a result of himself finding himself in the prison. A couple of summers ago, my wife and I went with a group from Ontario, church group. We did a tour of Germany and we went to the very cell where Martin Niemöller was. And we had a prayer with everyone gathered around there. While he was there, he began to reflect on his own life. He began to reflect on just how wrong he was to get caught up into the populism of his age and how wrong it was for him to be speaking out against the Jewish people. And he wrote a poem 
a poem that we've often heard many times. But I think it's applicable to us today as we think about in our own society whether or not we are standing up for religious freedom. And he wrote this. They came first for the communists. And I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. And then they came for the trade unionists. And I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics. And I didn't speak up because I was Protestant. And then they came for me. And by that time, no one was left to speak up. I'm going to share with you today and the point of this sermon is that there is a time for us to speak up. There are times when we have to ask God to give us the courage to speak up. The Irish jurist Philip Curran warned in 1790, It is the common fate of the indolent to see their rights become prey to the active. The condition upon which God hath given liberty to man is eternal vigilance. We think that in this country, we will always have freedom. We think that there's absolutely nothing that can take away our freedom. And yet, we are seeing around us many times different ideas and ideologies that are becoming very popular in the academic world, in the legal world, in the various elites of this country, where individuals and groups who stand up for their faith are being chastised, are being ridiculed in the media as being uncaring and discriminatory. And it causes us to, to begin thinking and trying to figure out, Lord, what would you have us do in this age? How is it? that we could be today facing with such challenges as we are, as I will share in just a minute. We can't be indolent. We can't sit down and do nothing. But we must ensure that our freedom continue. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, it's fascinating. We can become afraid. We can become afraid because I have a number of various churches and various religious charities across the country that are contacting us at the office right now because they're afraid of what the public will say with respect to their codes of conduct. And we see that, for instance, recently in the Supreme Court of Canada decisions in Trinity Western University law school case, where a law school had an admissions requirement that required all of the students to sign that they would keep this community covenant, which, by the way, was a fairly extensive covenant, and I encourage you to read it sometime, 
just to see how balanced it was, at least for those of us in the Christian community can understand that this is a, this is a Christian institution that is calling upon its faculty and staff and students that they would follow the various teachings of the Christian church have held for two millennia. Even went so far as to say that students were not allowed to smoke or drink alcohol on the campus. But there was one particular item on that, on that code of conduct that people found offensive. And that was that students who would come to this Christian school, a private school not receiving government money, but that they would ensure that they would not violate, violate marriage as one man and one woman. And that, the Supreme Court of Canada said, that requirement, the court said, was degrading and disrespectful. Degrading and disrespectful. Traditional moral values have become a real target in recent years in Canada. We see it at the center of government over the Canada summer jobs issue last year, wherein I was involved in all kinds of TV interviews, radio interviews, various op-eds, and all the rest of it. And people were saying, well, why can't you just sign the attestation? Why can't you sign that we support abortion, that we support charter values and all of that? And it sounds like, well, you're being discriminatory if you would do that. You'll find out why this afternoon, why legally that was such a problem and why the courts are dealing with it right now. Various sociologists today are have told us, uh, while the world has been often saying that the more education you get, the more secular you become. And so the idea has been, in universities, to make sure that we teach the young people that we don't need to worry about God and, and all the rest of it, but science is the most important thing, and that as we get education, we become more secular, and society will be better off. But let me tell you this, that if you hop on a train of thought, you better look down at your ticket and see where you're headed. And when you think about it, think about where secularism got us in the 20th century. Think about the secularism of the communist countries, of the, socialist, of the national socialism and all the rest of it, where they destroyed God. And the 20th century, of course, was one of the most bloodiest centuries in the history of mankind. We need our religious communities. We need our churches because it is in our churches and it is in our religious freedom that we ultimately will find that freedom expands beyond the religious community, but to the community at large. And so we may be afraid. And many of us today are afraid because we're afraid that the media might come and might ask us uncomfortable questions. And so we do need to ask for wisdom. 
And the Apostle Paul says that God has given us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love and self-control. And we will look at those. So what is it about, how is it we can say that God has given us a spirit of power? I want to suggest that God has given us a spirit of power in the sense that he has our back. You know, it's quite fascinating, but when you recognize, when you have confidence, you can do a lot of things. You know, remember the first time you rode your bike? Remember how, how nervous you were when you got on that bike? And maybe you fell. And some people would say, well, I'm never going to be able to ride the bike because it's too scary. You don't have the confidence. But then eventually you get on with the help of your mom or dad or older brother or sister. And soon you're boogieing down the road with all the rest. And you've got confidence. In fact, you've got so much confidence. If you're like me, you would fold your hands. And you just go on down the road, see what I can do. You get confident. Sometimes we get too cocky by doing that. But the point of the matter is, the, when you are given confidence, you can accomplish an awful lot. If you think you cannot play the piano, guess what? You can't play. You know, my own family comes from like a very poor family in Newfoundland. No one in all of my uncles and aunts in my dad's side I think only the girls got a high school education. But all the boys, five of the boys, they never got high school. They were working by the time they were done grade eight. Why bother going to school? And you know, it's interesting. My father always said to me, Barry, whatever you do, stay in school. I think many times he wishes he stayed in school. And so I stayed in school. My wife will tell you that I'm still in school. I've been in school our entire married life, except for maybe one or two years. But the point of the matter is this. When you have that sense of confidence, you can accomplish an awful lot. I'll never forget the time when I was a young person in school and I was really, uh, how can I say, I had lots of interesting situations where I tended to stutter horribly. Um, I understand uh, individuals who have speech impediments. Uh, some people wish I still had a speech impediment. <laughs> but nevertheless, I struggled in saying my words, particularly words with consonants, the first letter of a word being a consonant. And I would, I, I, and I will not even pretend to stutter today because I'm afraid that I would go back to that same mind. You know, have you ever seen the king's speech? Well, that was me. Struggled. And as a result, I also felt very inadequate. And I remember lots of times being picked on by bullies. Guys would hold my hands as they, another guy would pound me in the stomach. And uh, that kind of thing gives you a sense of inadequacy when you're in school. But I will never forget the day 
When one of those bullies cornered me and he tried to give me a going over and I had had enough. And next thing you know, frightened me to death. But I had him on the ground and my hand was lifted to give it to him right in the face. And I can still see him now Oh, don't hit me, Barry. Don't hit me. Don't hit me. Boy, I tell you, it was tempting to just let him have it. But I didn't. And I got off of him. He left me alone. Never bothered me afterwards. And I was like, I was shaking because I recognized I had more strength than what I thought. And suddenly, I wasn't bullied. Folks, let me tell you something. That the Lord Jesus Christ has come to this earth and he has conquered Satan himself on the cross. And we have no worries that when we stand up for him, we do not have the spirit of fear but of power. We have self-confidence, not our confidence, but Christ's confidence living through us. And so when people say that Christians are ignorant, uneducated, because they have belief in God, the Lord God Almighty, I point to them and I say, you see the electricity. There, Michael Faraday in England, a very solid Christian man, who studied magnetism, didn't even have any kind of education whatsoever, but was self-taught. An individual who would go to the various scientific lectures by Humphrey Davy, a great Oxford and Cambridge scholars, and there he would pay attention to what was being said. In fact, at one point he sent Davy a 300-page book of all that he understood to be the principles of science that Davy was studying. Davy was so impressed that when his assistant left, he contacted Faraday and hired him as his assistant. But Faraday was not a gentleman. He was not from Oxford or Cambridge. He was from a low class. And as a result, when he was traveling through Europe with Davy, as his assistant, Davy's wife ensured that he traveled on the outside of the coach, that he ate with the servants and not with them at their table. In fact, it got so bad that Faraday decided, at one point thought he would leave science altogether, but he hung in there. And there he found the principles of electricity with magnetism and all the rest, created the first electric motor that was changed the entire industrial revolution. But folks, he was a Christian. And it's said of him that he had a strong sense of the unity of God and nature and it pervaded throughout his entire life work. Because he recognized that in his work, in his work, he was working for God. Sir Isaac Newton, the great scholar, the amazing scholar of Cambridge who discovered the theory of gravity who gave us the various laws of motion, 
who helped us to understand the prism of light and how it can split up into many different colors. The individual who shared so much said this before his death, I do not know what I may appear to the world, but to myself, I seem to have been only like a boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself and now and then finding a smoother pebble or a prettier shell than ordinary, whilst the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. He understood that God, the author of all truth, was way greater than him. He understood about the important principles of living a faithful life. An individual who is known for his scientific discoveries and yet 80% of his writing had to do with religion. And in particular, he was fascinated with the books of Daniel and Revelation. Sir Isaac Newton. And so when I hear people today say that that science means that you can't be religious or that religious people are intellectual nincompoops, then I just ask them to consider history. I ask them to consider electricity. I ask them to consider the laws of motion that put a man on the moon. Somehow, it seems to me that as Christians, we have nothing to be afraid of. Instead, we can have confidence that God is leading his people and that in your life, wherever you are, and this is where I want you to think about in your own life, wherever you are, in your own family, it's interesting, the, one of the great uh, philosophers of our age is Jordan B. Peterson, um, who has been traveling the world, and he says this, it is my firm belief that the best way to fix this world, a handyman's dream, if you will, is to fix yourself. And the point of the matter is, fix your own heart and soul with the Lord Jesus Christ so that you know who He is. And you can have confidence when you go out in the world and you are representing Him in your workplace, in your family, and in your community that you need not be afraid. The Apostle Paul goes on and says, but of power and of love. If there's ever a time for love, it is today. The media would have us say that Christians are discriminatory, that we are hateful bigots, that we are individuals who have no concern about what people are going through. And God calls us to be individuals, not to be judgmental, because we are not to judge that we may not be judged, but instead we are to reach out and no matter where people are in their journey on this planet, that we love them and we reach out to them. That doesn't mean we have to agree with them, but it means we have to love. I'm often reminded of the story of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a Russian military captain in World War II. And he was appalled at how the Russians went into the various towns and cities where they conquered 
And they would brutalize the women. They would kill and massacre so many people. And he wrote this in a letter to a friend. And the friend, which is what happens in communist countries, in countries where there are no freedoms, but in countries where people are concerned only about themselves, the friend gave Solzhenitsyn's letter to the authorities. And because he had the audacity in a private letter to question the authority of Stalin and what he was doing on the front, Solzhenitsyn was sent to the gulags. An individual who fought for his own Russian country was now condemned to the prison camps. One morning, he listened intently as a guard was beating one of his fellow inmates outside the door. And hatred welled up inside of Solzhenitsyn. And all he was thinking about was killing the guard. And then, as a result of his own reading of the New Testament, which was smuggled into him, he had an epiphany. And he recognized that his hatred of the guard was no different than the hatred of the guard to the inmate that was being beaten. And he wrote this. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? he recognized that he himself was just like the guard. And folks, if we have evil in our hearts towards our enemy, we are no different than the enemy who has hatred towards us. And that is the purpose and the reason that Jesus was able to cry out, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it is the reason why, as Christians, we have to have the spirit of love. And finally, the Apostle Paul says that we are to have a spirit of a sound mind or self-control. Despite the fact that in today's world, we have people who see Christians as bigots, who see us as hateful, who who, who argue that we are intellectually inferior because we have the belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. It can cause us to lash out. It can cause us to lose our self-control. It can cause us to have just this sense of, don't you get it? But we have the example of Christ who while Pilate said, what is truth? And Jesus said, basically, you're looking at truth. 
And despite the fact that he was scourged, and despite the fact that he was put on that hill between two thieves, and everyone was mocking him, he maintained his self-control. He refused to take the intoxicating material, drink that was offered to him, so he could no longer have a sound mind. He said no. Remember some years ago, I was running for public office. I was running for member of parliament for the city of Oshawa in the 2000 election. And I'll never forget the time that uh, the leader of the party, leader of the opposition, Stockwell Day, came to my riding and, and there was an entire, he had an entourage and a bus, but also behind him was the, all of the national press and everybody was there, CBC, CTV, Glo- they were all there. All of the names, some of them still, we hear about them today, the um, Paul Wells of McLean's Magazine today, Eric Sorensen of CBC and so forth, they were all there. And while I was there in this media scrum there, someone, one of the reporters asked me a question. And you know, when they ask you questions, you, you wonder what's, um, what's coming. And the question was asked because a group of students came down from Kingsway College. They wanted to see stock and, you know, just wanted to, you know, this class wanted to see what was happening with politics and all the rest of it. And, and they came down and they were part of this rally and all the rest. And the reporter says to me, Mr. Bussey, tell me, what do you say about this young man who was there from that religious school here in Oshawa who was yelling out, Jews go away? And obviously this was coming out of um, like left field that I didn't see coming. And, and I was like, Okay, so tomorrow's paper will be um, the Oshawa candidate for the Canadian Alliance is going to be anti-Semitic. There's going to be some kind of craziness that's going to go on. And uh, so anyhow, I, um, I responded, well, first of all, this is the first I've ever heard of this. And um, I... um, I want you to know that if it is as you say it is, then that's very, very unfortunate. And for someone to say such a thing is unacceptable. Luckily, there was a off-duty police officer who was standing right next to me. And um, he challenged the reporter and he said, who are you talking about? And the reporter described the young person who he said said this and And the police officer said, um, I was standing right next to him. He never once said anything like that. In fact, I didn't hear anyone say that. But what I did hear was a whole group of young people yelling out, Stockwell Day! And the reporter thought, or heard, Jews go away. I'll never forget that. And I recognize how important it is that when you're under pressure that you keep sound mind. 
So then, here we are living in the age in which we are, wherein we are being challenged over and over for our faith. God is asking us to recognize that we can have self-confidence in our walk with him, that we need not to be afraid, but we can have power because he has the power, that we have love because we recognize that in our own hearts there is evil, and that even those who may say things to us that would be causing us to question, causing us to, causing us to, to just be very frustrated that people just don't get it, that we maintain self-control, sound mind. In the book of Joshua is the story where the priests came. They were about to cross the River Jordan. It says that the river was at the highest point. It was raging water. And Joshua said, now is the time to go. And the Lord had said to Joshua, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. And then it says in Joshua 3, when the people set out from the camp to cross the Jordan, and as the priests who were there, they were carrying the ark. And it was that as the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still. And all of Israel crossed on dry ground. And so it is that we need to step in the water. We need to recognize that in our lives, no matter where we are, we step in the water. We're not going to be obnoxious. We're not going to be hateful. But in a spirit of confidence that comes from our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, where we know him personally day in and day out, that we have love for our neighbor as ourselves. So it is that we can then leave the results up to God and have a sound mind, have self-control, that we will be witnesses for his glory is our prayer. Father God, we pray and ask that you will help us and guide us as we step into the water of this world. Lord, as we are in our own houses, help us to recognize that we cannot fix the world without fixing ourselves. And it is only through maintaining a close, committed life to you that we can have that assurance that we have the power, we have the love, and we have the self-control. In your name we pray. Amen.